Hello and welcome to episode 464 of Fergo and the Freak. I'm that bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can find me on Twitter at AndrewRLP. And join me as always is the Glorious League Freak. You can also find me on Twitter at League Freak. I'm hoping you're having a glorious day, mate. It is a glorious day because here we are in our brand new studios and don't they look amazing? They do, they do. The uh, the aroma um, of air, it's great. Yeah, I like the uh, I like the big screen panels that we've got to look at all of the things that we bring up on the uh, computers, um, the, all of the lighting that we've got, these new comfortable chairs. I mean, how comfortable are the chairs? I mean, these are fantastic. Yeah, we can see all of the interns out there uh, through the glass and stuff like that. So it's good. It's a it's a new era for the podcast. I do like those those um, those windows that you've got there because we can see them, but all they've got is a mirror. Yeah, well, we don't want them to actually see what we're doing. We want to just make sure that they're doing their job. That's right. That's right. Mm. Um, not too sure about the mirrors on the roof, but I don't know who put those there. No comment. Hmm. We'll uh, we'll have to check the invoice. Yeah. Um, it's, it's been a been a big week. If you're um on the board of the West Tigers, doing a lot yep. of media. There's been a lot of media. There's been a lot of talking. There's been a lot of uh, they're going to do things differently. Like yeah, they, I mean they've, they've had their two bits on everything. I think Chairman Lee made a comment about. One of the Broncos players, Tiff, with Kevin Walters. Mm-hmm. Um, Justin Pascoe, I think, had something to say about um, Vladimir Putin and his comments about the 80-year uh, anniversary of the some weird war over there in Russia. Um, Chairman Lee, again, said something about, you know, American civil war rights, something like that. I mean, they've been busy. Any time you can just open your dumb fat mouth about everything, you have to do it, right? Yeah, I mean it's uh, it's interesting. It's almost like they've become a radio station. Mm, mm. <laughs> They're everywhere. Mm, well, they've spent more more time on air than Alan Jones has in his career. It's been a busy week. <laughs> I just want them to shut the fuck up for a change. Yeah, imagine if they were as good at talking as they are at running a football team. Well, I mean, have no hope. Yeah. Anyway. Um, First, first and foremost, okay. Mm-hmm. Peter Volandis, he's he's um he's he's done a bit of an about turn on what the NRL did in the past, and that was you know we're going to be all about accepting the LGBTQI community, mm-hmm. and we were doing stuff like you know we had float at the Mardi Gras for a few years. I think we've still been doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had you know last year we had a pride jumper. You know, well, manly had, did. Uh, well, manly did. During, during um, women in league round. Yeah. Um, you know, we had Macklemore. Yeah, we, yeah a few we've years done ago. some stuff out there to try and be inclusive of the of that community. And that, I've, I've got no problem with that. I don't, it doesn't worry me either way. Can but, I tell um, you, I was so drunk when Macklemore was playing. I can't, I, I've got no idea what happened. I still don't know who he is or yeah, she is. Yeah, <laughs> um, I don't even know the music they play, so it's you know it's it doesn't mean anything to me mm-hmm. um, what he does. But as far as the gesture goes, you know, it doesn't worry me. I'm I'm fine with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've we've kind of done a bit of a U-turn. Instead of having celebrating the the LGBTQI community, we've decided to go with a 
respect round. Mm-hmm. A few days after it was reported that he was going to disrespect the women who wanted to get um, payments for when they become pregnant and if they, uh, you know, for the first two years, I think, of their child's existence mm-hmm. to cover them for that and for the players wanting private health cover. Um, so that was great respect on his behalf. Um, well, look, there's, well there. the, there's a lot of complex things that are all woven into what you just said. You know yeah. that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a, you know, the players just want to be looked after while they're playing the game and mm-hmm. after. Now, it's interesting, there was a bit of bit of rhetoric within the media going on about how the players were being greedy. Most of it come from um, stupid fucking idiots who were completely oblivious to what was going on. Hi, Mark mm-hmm. Levy. <laughs> um Oh, they're being greedy. Fuck this and fuck the players. That dead shit wouldn't know. Fuck. Mm-hmm. Um, it had nothing to do with the players want more money. What should have happened? Okay. We we now know that the, the NRL took, what, two, three months too long to get the salary cap sorted out? Mm-hmm. And then they jacked it up by a huge amount. And I figure now, looking back on it, that Vlandis decided to do that to try and squash all of this drama. One hundred percent surfaced up. And what he should have done all along is just said, you know, we're going to put, we're going to bump up the the salary cap by a tiny amount, like a smidge, just to deal with inflation, shit like that. Whatever, it doesn't have to be much, three, four percent, and all that extra money that they were that they put on there could have all gone to all of these requests that the players had, they could have put aside a huge chunk of money into a separate fund for players in their post-retirement years. It doesn't have to be until they're bloody 65 or whatever. Just those first 10 years after they've retired, if they've got any health concerns, whatever, mm-hmm. help them out, get them the medical attention they need and get them right so that they can get into the workforce if they want to, to continue working after they've left the game because they've still got, for some of them, 30, 20, 30 years before they hit 65 left. Yeah. So help them get to a physic, physically and mentally capable state if they're impaired in any way there so that they can go and join the workforce and keep earning money and look after themselves when they do get to 65. That's kind of what the players have been asking for. All they have to do is just put aside a big chunk of money to help with that and look after the insurance costs and... I don't know why they couldn't have just pumped up the the women's salaries just a little bit more. Well, that, look, Pete Valandis made a smart move because he had the clubs were not happy with him with how much money he put it left on the table when he renegotiated the the broadcasting mm. deals right as COVID hit and the NRL was in weirdly a position of weakness because nobody knew it was coming up and the broadcasts were like, look, we think everything's going to go downwards. And so we don't want to pay you as much. And he said, well, if we lock that in for a few extra years, we'll do that. And the clubs were not happy about it. On top of that, he had the players that weren't happy about their um, collective bargaining agreement. And so Volandis comes back with the thing of, I'm going to give you 
another $2.5 million on top of the salary cap and the club grant so that it's all covered. So the club's issues all went away. And the players are getting $2.5 million each per club, you know? Mm. And that's a, that's a lot. That it's is a, a hell of a lot, as you say. And, mm. um, you know, it would have been smarter to go the other way, but I think that he would still have been having to haggle with the clubs and the Players Association anyway. Um, I think that the, the, the CBA that the, they want in place for the men's competition I think that that's they're going to get that sorted. That's really easy. I think for the women's compli- competition, it's a little bit more complicated because the women's competition doesn't make money. It's all subsidised by the men's competition, basically. And the men's competition subsidises junior rugby league and everything. So let's not pretend it just subsidises the women's comp. Mm. Um, and because of that, and, and I've said this before, you don't, the women should have their own administration that's run by them, run by women for the women's competition. And this is the reason why. So they don't ever have to justify themselves to somebody that can say yes, but on anything, right? Yeah. Now I can see from the NRL's point of view where if they, if they look at the competition and say it loses money as it is, we subsidise everything. If we then add on top of that that a player can basically miss an entire season in the best case scenario if a if a woman gets pregnant, and then maybe even the following season, you know, how's that going to work out for them financially? Are they going to end up paying female players a lot of money to not just not play at all? And it's understandable that it happens in workplaces around the country, but a lot of those workplaces around the country, they actually make money. And and that's a, that's a big thing, you know? Yeah. I, think... um, I would also, the, the other thing I'll say just before, before you have your say is that yeah, yeah. It, it, this is a short career. This is a really, really short career that women's player players have. Mm. And so to, if you cut out say two years for one child, it's a lot of money and a lot of time that is then gone out of their career. And I'm not saying it's the right or the wrong thing. I'm not making judgment calls. I'm just looking at it from the NRL's point of view and the money point of view. Is it the right thing or the I'd like looking in the ideal world that it all, it's all in place and no one cares. Everyone's like, yeah, just do it, whatever. But are we there yet with, the women's game being able to generate enough money within itself that we can do those things. I don't know. The NRL probably knows. And it's very complicated and it's very difficult. And I'm glad I'm not the one making decisions about it. Yeah. The, I I think the only concern with the, the pregnancy one is mm-hmm. um, obviously the female players, have to have jobs away from the game because mm-hmm. up until this year anyway, their season was very short. Mm-hmm. So they had to get a lot of leave in order to play the games and do training stuff because they weren't always just playing, you know, near their home. They'd have to go to Brisbane, New Zealand, sort of stuff, and they're moving around a bit. And with the competition expanding, the season getting longer, 
more and more travel. It's more of an impact on the the women's jobs away from football. Yeah. And so I think their concern is if they do get pregnant, those employers might just say, you know what, we've been pretty accommodating by letting you play the game and travel around everywhere and not be at work as much. If you're going to get pregnant, we might just say, you know what, let's just say we'll pay you out your leave and stuff like that and, you know, good luck getting a career somewhere else. You know, mm-hmm. hopefully you can get something. We'll give you a reference, that sort of thing. And I think it's more – I don't think the women are trying to find a way to get extra money for extra years. I think it's more the same way male players are looking for um, – health insurance to look after themselves when they get injured because this is their full-time job. Yeah. It's kind of in the similar ballpark in the sense that if they do decide to have a child, obviously having a child is not identically the same as getting injured and being impaired later on. Mm -hmm. That's not to say that that can't happen with pregnancy and childbirth because it can, but... um, I think it falls into those same sort of area where they're saying, you know what, if we lose our job because we've been playing football and it's impacted our reputation to attend our jobs, that's kind of what it is, I guess, in some sense. And not because they're not bad at what they do, but because they have to take time off to go and play the game. Yeah. Um, we want to know that we're going to be financially um, looked after while we're caring for our child in those first, you know, most important first two years when the child needs us around the most. So I think that's where that comes in. And given that the females players' wages isn't high, I don't, and there's not a lot of them either mm-hmm. in the NRLW, I don't think that that should be a an issue pushing that one through. I think that should be an easy yes. And it's, a, it's an easy yes also on a PR thing because I don't think any other – sporty organization globally would have something like that in place i'm not confident on that that that's accurate but i wouldn't be surprised if if they'd be the first to do it um also i reckon the nrl must be fairly certain that the women's game is going to start turning a profit soon i mean you don't expand if you don't think that's going to happen so even if it gets to a point where it's cutting even that's not a bad thing because it's growing. But yeah. they must think it's going to start producing some profit sometime soon because they're expanding and, and they're not expanding gradually. They're, they've been pretty aggressive about it. They've added a few teams already for this season. Yeah. So, like- this season? yeah. so they must see that, that the the money's coming there. Yeah, and it's I think it's the best female sport to watch by quite some margin. Oh, yeah. It's also the best. They, they play they play the game in the best, um, you know, the best mindset possible. Where yeah. they're just playing pure rugby league. There's none of the fucking wrestle and niggle and bullshit that goes on. Mm-hmm. It's just being rugby league. And that's the. I think the other thing about it too is you don't watch it and feel as though it is a PR exercise. You don't no. watch it, it like you. You watch it, and the the players don't care about any of that stuff. Mm. They they're literally footballers, you know. Yeah. Um. No one's out there trying to send a message. No one's out there trying. It's just they're 
pure footy players. And I mm. think that that comes across in in the games that you watch and it comes across when you hear all of the players talk about, you know, pre-game, post-game, everything. Um, and I also think that, you know, there's so many reasons to be optimistic that it's all going in a a true good direction. It's not being force-fed. It's not going being pushed too quickly, any of that sort of thing. It's, uh, I think, organically, it, it looks like it's actually going forward and to the point where, like, man, I wish Penrith had a footy team, uh, a, a NRLW team, because that would be cool. You know, that would be great to watch. Um, and I think that there would be a lot of footy fans around the competition in the NRL, especially where they would be the same. They're like, man, we want to be in on this, you know. Mm. Um, but I, I think that the finance part is – Man, it's so tricky because, you know, how do you weigh it up? If you play a, if you play an NRLW game before an NRL game, how do you weigh up the how how do you weigh up how the revenue works? You know, for that game day experience, and and there must be a component to the broadcasting agreement that specifically covers the women's games. How well, much I think is that's probably that... why they put them on a different time zone to try and separate it so they could see more clearly where the revenue is. But mm. yeah, again, it's not it's not clear because the women's game would be bundled in with the the actual NRL rights as yeah. far as broadcasting rights go. And I dare say they'd probably just say, you know what, let's just whack on an extra ten percent to cover the women's game, and then they'll do the same thing with all their advertisers. So a lot of their sponsorship deals and stuff like that, they get the same sponsorship, but it's now on extra games. It's kind of like having, um, you know, when you introduce a new team, it's another ground, another team on TV, another set of eyes, and you know, another place in the country that you can put all this sponsorship stuff on. It's the same thing with the women's game. You can do that, but in a whole new competition. But it's got such a, um, it's got such a good reputation. Like mm. we don't have massive controversies going on the NRLW, so advertisers are happy to go and have you know what we're happy to have our name added to that as well, and you know have our sponsorship all over that as well, and so it gets shared, um, and they can the NRL can just say you know we'll just whack on an extra increase in percentage for that, and you can have your name over there as well. Yeah, and look, this was my concern about it because. I felt as though if the women's competition was completely separate and it it was its own thing and its own teams and it was run for the NRLW alone, then there would be that separation and we would know not only where everything stands completely, but you also get the thing of – the thing that really worries me is that we're ever going to get to a point where some club or some administrator, and I think about this in terms of, remember when Parramatta owned the Parramatta Power Soccer Soccer Club? Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? And at some point, somebody, some administrator goes, you know what, running an NRL team is pretty expensive, and this is an expense. I think we should cut this. And that's what worries me about the NRLW, is that, you'll get to some point where either the the NRL clubs will say that or the NRL itself will say that and it will leave the women's game high and dry. And that has always worried me from the very beginning. And that's why I always wanted them to have their own 
their own administration and their own clubs. And, you know, I'd be happy if the NRL said, look, we're, every year we're going to give their women's competition, I don't know, $5 million a year, whatever it's going to be. And, and just you take it, you do what you want with it, there's your $5 million on top of anything else you do. And let let women run the women's comp because I worry when they have to justify anything to the NRL. I worry about justifying the world nines to the NRL. I worry about having to justify international rugby league to the NRL. And the women's comp is just another thing where I worry that at some point somebody's going to say, oh, man, this is an expense. Do you know what we could do with that money? Do you know all the cool, cool ideas I've got for that money? That's what worries me. I think the the one really pleasing thing that we've seen so far, and mm-hmm. it's genuine as well, mm-hmm. that um, helps, I think, allay any fears in that area is that the men's players are 100% supportive of the women's players. Like a mm-hmm. lot of them are, are threatening strike action, not because <clears throat> of the demands that they're not getting, yeah, but also the demands that the women aren't getting as well. Yeah, And they've been vocal saying, no, no, it's because we want this for our men's players, our women's players. And in the past, they've made threats, you know, about we want this for grassroots and junior footy. They understand that they are the ones making a lot of the money for a lot of the rugby league players in this country. Mm-hmm. And they're not sitting there saying, we want all that for ourselves. That's been very clear. They're going, yeah, you know, we know we're paid well. So we want to use our platform to try and help everybody else and make sure they get looked after properly, not just financially, but with things like healthcare, pregnancy, all sort of stuff as well. And I think when you've got the players uh, united on a front like that, that's going to help look after the, the women's players. Up. Because as soon as a club comes along and says, we're not sure we can keep this, this women's team going, the players everywhere, men, women, juniors, all of them, they're all going to stand up and fight. And they haven't been, they haven't rolled over at all. They've stuck to their guns, mm-hmm. as they should, as they fucking well should. They're the ones putting their bloody bodies and their health on the line. Of course they should be making whatever demands they want and sticking to their guns. They're not rolling over. Whether they, you know, you can... Have you discussions back and forth about what they should be getting and how it should work and stuff like that? But they should be treated. I, I don't think they've they've been treated with the full respect that they deserve by the NRL. That's not just a yeah. bit of Landis thing, but um, you know, Abdo as well. He had a stupid comment a few weeks ago. Um, or was it something like of um. I've never seen a rugby league game that wasn't competitive. And I I think I shared that on Twitter and said something along the lines of, oh, well, you obviously didn't watch the World Cup then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I saw that comment. That was, it was a strange. It was very much like everything else he says. It's just empty words. It's I've never heard words. him actually say anything. No. He's a, he's a pointless mouthpiece. Yeah, he's a corporate just word box. You know, yeah. where you press the button and the word words come out, but they don't mean anything. It's it's like he's on the West Tigers board. Yeah. <laughs> Except he's way more competent than that. <laughs> he's got way more power somehow. Yeah. <laughs> he makes way more sense. He's way more competent. Runs things way more efficiently. 
<laughs> and he's in the media way less. Yeah. <laughs> That's so true. Oh, shit. Oh. Oh, it's going to be interesting though. There's, there's still, they're still debating over it at the moment. Um, this shit should have been sorted out last year. I this agree. Is, and this is the problem the NRL's got because they took so fucking long to sort out the salary cap, and this shit's going on now. They've given so much power to the players because we're right on the fucking doorstep of when the NRL competition kicks off, mm-hmm. and the players are threatening strike action. They've got all the power now. Everything's in their place. So, you know what? We can call off the season if we want. And they're always going to have. Yeah. They're going to have to yield. Otherwise, they're not going to have a competition. Yeah. And no, how many like, people are going to sit there and talk about how great Vlandis is after he got the competition started thirty-five minutes early back during COVID? <laughs> all of a sudden now, isn't it funny how everyone's fucking turned on him? Yeah, except his media people. Except his media people. They've Your old pals here. We we haven't changed our fucking tune since day one. As soon as we saw the media was, you know, up his ass and blowing smoke up his ass, we went, hmm, something's not right here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, look, I, the thing that gets me is the NRL is a professional administration. Like, this isn't a bunch of people that are part timers. They're, they're all, they all earn very good money to run mm-hmm. the NRL. So, what the fuck were they doing since the end of the grand final that we didn't have a CBA in place? Why are we at this point of the year and we still don't have a CBA in place? And, I mean, it seems like the women's game has been a real afterthought in the CBA, which is a a fucking disgrace. And the fact that, you know, we we had all of this build up about the women's game is going to be this and, we you know, we're really behind it stuff. And then they get to the CBA negotiations and they're like, I don't know, you know, I don't know about the women's game. And it just it doesn't sit well with everyone, I think, except the NRL and the NRL's media partners for some reason. Um, I think that the the men's CBA, I think that it's all going to be in place. And I said that in the last couple of episodes that Mm. I think it's all just wrangling. I think that they've just got to, you know, sign off on a couple of smallish things. I don't know if they're ever going to sign off on there being a huge amount of money that will go into a um, a long-term insurance scheme for players just yet, just because they did put the salary cap up so much. That might be something that comes in in the next broadcasting agreement. Um, but, you know, I, I think that the big issue is the women's game, just because it seems like they're so far away on that. And yeah, look, if, I, you're, I if you're a female player, like the the male, the male players, they know what they're earning this year. Yeah. They know that they've got a job this year. They know what's going on. They know the top 30s and all that sort of stuff. The women's players are at their work right now, you know. They're doing their normal jobs right now. They don't know if they will have to tr- do all of this travelling. They don't know if they'll be covered for it. They don't know how much they're going to earn out of it. They won't. They don't know so much about it. Do they even I, have a draw released yet? I don't know, to be honest with you. I haven't. Um, I think the one thing I'd like to see is if I'm negotiating on behalf of the NRL, I'd say, you know what? I understand the viewpoint that the men are coming from wanting private health care, but you know what? You're all paid pretty well. You can all afford to get your own private health care. Yeah. But what we will do is provide private health care for all the female players. 
because they're not paid as anywhere near as high, that's something that they could do to help the female players out. And that might be a way to try and help a little bit in regards to, um, you know, if, if they offer that up there, they might be able to say, we can hold back on the whole pregnancy one until the next TV rights deal comes out. Yeah. Because they know they can negotiate up because they've got more women's teams, which will make a longer women's season. They've also got more NRL teams. The possibility of an 18th team could potentially be added to help improve the TV rights deal as well. And so they can say, you know what, if we can hold off until then and we'll try and jack up the next TV rights deal and then we'll come back to these issues then, it might be a way to help them get through this, save a bit of coin now and then have those conversations later. Mm-hmm. That might be a way of working with it. Um, mm-hmm. But I think they need to... I think they need to protect the female players um, for healthcare stuff and things like that, and possibly even things like income insurance, something like that, perhaps. That might be a better way of going about it instead of um, the pregnancy thing, perhaps, because that way you're not just protecting the female players who are going to get pregnant. Not all of them will. You're going to be protecting all of them if they lose their job because then they can still keep playing football. Um, that might be a better way of going about it. And even then, you're not paying out a huge amount of money unless they lose their job. So it's not going to be as huge an expense either, but you're you're protecting them at the same time. That's what they need. They need to have that security. Financial security is what they need. And mm-hmm. so that's the first thing they should be looking at, I think. Um, I'm, I think they also they should be getting the pregnancy thing, but I... I don't mind if the NRL holds off on it, so long as they they do offer things like that. I'm not saying that that that, that should what should it be, but that's an example of things that they could do to try and help negotiate towards, you know, the pregnancy one later on in the next TV rights deal, where they should be getting a, a fair increase. Yeah, it's as long uh, as PVL isn't doing it. Look, it, it's it's a difficult one. I, I'm glad I'm not part of the negotiations. I think. It, it, look, it's it's a good place for the game to be in that we're haggling over these things, right? Yeah. That's that's the first thing to to remember. Um, and I just hope that all parties get to a point where they get a deal in place in in a timely fashion, where nobody feels as though they've given up too much, and everyone feels as though there's something to build on going towards either the next CBA or once the next broadcasting deal comes in. Because I think that we've been pretty lucky in rugby league um, for probably decades now, to be honest, that even when, like we have seen so many years, especially in the early noughties, where the game didn't have a great deal of money because it was underfunded because of its terrible broadcasting deals. Mm. And players openly said, look, we understand where the game is. We understand we can earn more elsewhere, but we are sticking this out because we know better times are coming. And better these are the better times, quite honestly. Like the game is in rude financial health. The fact that every club got an extra $2.5 million on top of its salary cap, I mean, at one point the salary cap was down to $3 million, you know? Mm. So, yeah, it, it's an incredible point where the game is at. And this is haggling over the small issues 
but these small issues are important and I just hope it all gets sorted pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah, it's the main thing. Um now on to the more important news. Yes. You're not allowed to say anything bad about Luke Brooks, okay? It's bullying. Okay. Tim Sheen said so. Okay. So I can't say that he's fucking shit? Nope. That's bullying. Can I say that he hasn't played a finals game because he doesn't know how to lead a team? Um, is that criticism? Can I say he's an undersized halfback that doesn't talk and so he can't lead a team around the field? I mean, the And facts, that last year he was the third best half in the club. Can I say that? Are they, are they facts? I mean, they're facts and they're crit- criticism. No, nah, no. Nah. You've got to say he's got lovely hair. Okay. And he's a, the greatest halfback ever. <laughs> I, I think Tim Sheens will be fine with that. Also, Tim Sheens has been going on about the media, the club. Everyone's been going on about how the Tigers are channeling 2005. Do they not know that that was almost two fucking decades ago? Oh, it was a wonderful 18 months, though. Fuck. I, you know, I I saw a picture today of David Clemmer in his West Tigers gear, and I've gone, it does look like he's been teleported back to 2070 to a Tim Sheen side because he has lost a bit of weight. <laughs> and the first thing I thought was, I wonder how many outside backs at the West Tigers are now the same size as the West Tigers props and back rowers. <laughs> it's a Tim Sheen's team. Mm. Everyone's a back rower. I was going, oh. Fuck. We're going to go back to being bullied in the middle again. I look. I, I it's a worry because they look. They've they've definitely added some quality players to the team compared to what they normally do. Yes. And in theory, they should be. I mean, look, they should be better, and that's not difficult when you're last. Um, sixteenth. Well, you know what I mean. They were last last year. <laughs> but I I just think that you know I don't, there's certain messages sometimes you get out of a club that worry you and I worry about the messages that are coming out of the West Tigers and like you it's when they talk about oh we're going back to Newcastle does it all the time we're going back to the glory days we you know I heard uh, Jackson Hastings he, he had a quote this week where he said we've got to go back and and go back to the working class roots of this club. And it's like, no, you don't. You need to be a professional rugby league team in 2023. That's the problem. They're going to start banging big pieces of fucking steel. Yeah, it's like... Hard hats and hammers. Like, what the fuck are you talking about, Jackson? You weren't, like, hundreds of thousands of dollars to play football. You're not working class, man. He came out of a fucking tunnel with black yeah. shit all over his face. When I hear somebody... Drink a VB of sweating like crazy. Look, when I hear somebody at Newcastle saying, we've got to stop pretending like we're a highly paid pub side, I will be really happy, you know? <laughs> oh, man. That team, fair dinkum. Um, I'll say this. The one thing the Knights need to do more than anything else is get a new coach. You know, that think, last year, mm. their attack and defence was worse mm-hmm. than the year that they last won the wooden spoon. 
And like, they won uh, one game more. Yeah, look, part of me thinks that they just can't afford to pay him out, hey? I think they'd probably do better without a coach. So pay him out and just play with no coach. <laughs> What's the like, worst that could happen? You could be the Manly Seagulls and get Anthony Seabold. You know what? <laughs> I got you, didn't I? <laughs> I got you. I called it. Oh, boy. If anything, if the Knights got rid of that um, that bloke who's their coach there, who cares what his name is? It's unimportant now. They'd save money on chairs. Yeah, you got to worry when the dude starts throwing shit around a couple of games into his head coaching career. And... We, we've talked about it. I don't see any improvement in them. He's got he's got a little bit more to work with this year, so we'll see what he does with it. But he's I, worse than Nathan Brown. No, I don't think anyone's worse than Nathan Brown. I think he is. I think Nathan Brown sucks on every single level. I know you rate him higher than I do. I think Nathan Brown not, not by much, but I don't rate Adam O'Brien at all in any capacity. I don't think he's a, a rugby league coach at any level. No, I don't think Nathan Brown is either. I think Nathan Brown could probably almost teach one person one thing about rugby league. I don't think Adam O'Brien has the capacity to do that. I think Nathan Brown should be a coach in the UFC's new slap league. That's fine. I don't think Adam O'Brien could coach anything. Okay, that's fair enough. At all. That's fair enough. Ever. Not even by accident. If you had to pick between Adam O'Brien, Des Hasler, and Nathan Brown to absolutely fuck up a dressing room, who would you pick? I'm going O'Brien. Really? I think I'd go Des Hasler. I think Des only Des only does it every now and then. Just for effect, I don't think I think Adam O'Brien does it out of frustration because he's he's so stupid he doesn't know how to communicate properly. And he goes, "I'm being paid to do this job and I don't know how to do it," and that's why he gets so pissed off every week. Yeah, and <sighs> I I have not seen. Uh, I'm going to back this up, okay? Not with stats. I have not seen a, a football team go from worse to worse. Because that's what the Knights have done under his time there. Yeah. And when you watch them play, there is no structure and there's no game plan. There's nothing in there, in their attack or the defense. Even the West Tigers last year had some semblance of game plan in their attack. They had none in defense, but they had something in their attack. You could see what they were trying to do. They were trying mm-hmm. to go forward just on the edges of the ruck, and that's what they were trying to play all the time. The Knights have... Zero. There's no imagination. There's no game plan. There's nothing. It is such a mundane, boring side because there's nothing coming from the coach. They don't know. There's no direction. There's nothing there. And their defense is just, it's hopeless. Yeah, you you want to see some sort of progress at least. And I just feel like there's there hasn't been progress. There's just been plugging new pieces in and and just doing the same aimless stuff. And the thing that gets me too is that there's been a few players there that have uh, kind of given up a little bit, you know, and Clemmer was like that. Clemmer was putting in for a while and then he just kind of gave up, you know. And 
I worry about other players doing that. Like, I was worried that Ponga was going to do that, but then he re-signed with them, and look, part of that is the money. When they pay all the money, you just got to keep playing. Yeah. Um, but and I, I hope that when Hastings goes there and they've got the the uh, former rugby union sevens player from Cronulla, I can't remember his name, but he was a former rugby league player. He's not a rugby union player. Remember when the rugby union sevens got into the Olympics and they said all the rugby league players will come over, and it turned <laughs> out that it's just a bunch of fucking lower grade rugby league players just walked <laughs> into the team. That's hilarious. But anyway, he's gone up to Newcastle, and I think that he's been pinged as their starting fullback with Ponga going into 5-8. They've got Hastings at halfback, so we'll see how that goes. We've been talking about that should be the way they go with Ponga at 5-8. Yeah, they've been um, talking about putting Ponga at 5-8 to try and protect – no, this is a stupid thing – protecting from getting the concussions and the injuries mm-hmm. and going, you're going to try and protect him by having props run at him. Mm-hmm. Good luck with that. I, look, I think that there's. He was getting bashed him up at center. Yeah, you could put him at center, but he's pretty small for an NRL center too. Well, that's that's the problem you're going to have with him, though. But you know, it's you can't you can't hide a guy in the middle of the field. I mean, there's a reason why the Tigers leak a lot of points near near the goalposts and have done for many many years is because they had Mitch Moses on one side, Luke Brooks on the other. Before that. Robert Louis was on one side. Mm-hmm. They've always had a really small half there, and they just get ironed out and looked at all the time. Benji Marshall was another one, really poor defender for a long time in the start of his career, and into the middle of his career. Gets singled out all the time, run at him, and no support either side of him to help him out. And I fear that that would be a similar problem with the Knights. I don't think he's going to get the support from the... Uh, the middle defenders, especially later on in the game, once the, the starting props come off. So I, I think the only way you can hide someone is if you've got you've got to put them at center defensively, yeah, at center or on the wing, so they're just defending one on one. That's pretty much your only chance of hiding someone, especially just, on the wing, because you can use the sideline as your defender on one side pretty much. Yeah, look, I just think in the way that the NRL currently is, a fullback gets they do so much work and they get smashed. And I think that's why I see a lot of fullbacks that are pretty big dudes, you know, mm. um, there's not too many small dudes playing fullback. I mean, the smallest one would be Campbell up at, at the Titans. Um, and he's, he's very small, but he's also weirdly strong and athletic. Like the athleticism you expect to be there because his dad was so athletic and he's yeah. taller, he's taller than Preston Campbell. Yeah. But he he's pound for pound. He might be one of the strongest players in the NRL, weirdly enough. And I think he, he'll grow into being a, a, a bigger player. But I, I just think that the way that the role of a fullback now is just so brutal that I was worried that Pong was getting smashed out of the game playing fullback. And I, I fully I fully am behind him playing 5-8. I think that they had to try something because him playing fullback was just Getting bashed. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt about it. I mean, I mean we said it last year. He should have been playing 5-8 last year. We, we thought he'd, he'd get moved there straight away. Yeah. And they must have tried it for, what, a week or two and then put him straight back to fullback. Hang on. Yeah, just it feels like it was a just a lost season for his possible development as a player. I mean, we've seen him come into Origin games off the bench, but we've seen him come into Origin games and play in the middle of the field. 
Yeah. And he does it, you know, and, and there's not much more brutal than an origin game. So he's got the ability to do that. The weekly grind is going to be different, obviously, but um, I, I just thought, I think that the fullback thing for him in defense and in the, the workload and just the fact that teams are putting up bombs and as soon as he was landing, he was getting absolutely brutalized and I that couldn't go on anymore. No. And, I mean, that's all teams are doing too to take him out of the game. They, they wouldn't try and score off kicks. They mm-hmm. just put the ball up there and they pong a catch it and they just smash him so that he'd be useless in attack. Yeah, yeah. They tried doing a similar thing with um, Reese Walsh. Yes, he's a yes. little bit more, um, a little bit more solidly built, so he can handle the the, the hits a little bit better. Not yeah, hugely more, but uh, enough. Yep. The other thing is too that Reese Walsh, he had Ponga's got good footwork, but Reese Walsh has a little bit better footwork in very close quarters. Yes, if that he does. makes sense. No. Pong is the sort of play that will, when he's running with the ball, he will get you moving in the wrong direction. Whereas Reese Walsh is a little bit more like uh, Matty Bowen in that he can wrong foot you, you know, when, when he's a foot in front of you. Yeah, and um, from a flat footed position too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there is that. And then you've, look, there's another thing of, and it's just, the, I don't know whether it's the luck of the draw. Or if it's a genetic genetics thing or whatever, but some players are just a little bit more injury prone than others for whatever reason, and you know some we've seen some players they they just don't miss games and other players they can't seem to stay on the footy field, and you know Walsh is probably average in terms of players getting injured. And Ponga, unfortunately, is at the worst end of the scale where he just feels as though he's always coming back from injury. Yeah. And never really fully fit. No, no. And always, like, he's just just never 100%. Never. Yeah, there's... um, I've, I've done a bit of a Google search. I've mm-hmm. typed in West Tigers and clicked on the news link. Okay. Because um, it's going to be busy. They've pretty much got articles written about every single player at the West Tigers at the moment. <laughs> but most of them are about Luke Brooks. Um, the West Tigers signed a frustrated bobsleigh, uh, bobsledder, Ashley Werner. Okay. Fair enough. Um, Adam Dewey reveals his captaincy dream. Um, Sean Ball aims to repay West Tigers' faith. It's always a worry when a player feels set, comes out and says, I've got to repay the club's faith, because that yeah. means that they paid you a decent amount of money and you've played like shit. It's like, why didn't you do that last year? <laughs> I fully agree. Um, like David Fafita, he's trying to find <laughs> the hunger again. Stop eating. Yeah. Oh, look, it's come back. Um, Appy Coruscant humbled by working with Robbie Farah. Brooks okay. eyes improved running game behind new pack. Is, is there anything that could have been worse for Luke Brooks coming into 2023 than being under all of this pressure because the club has talked him up like a messiah? It's, 
this is the thing I don't like about what the West Tigers are doing there. I mean, as you know, as everyone knows, there's so many articles coming out about the West Tigers at the moment. So much talk coming out of the club. It's mm-hmm. it's what Tim Sheens does. Mm-hmm. He's got mates in the media, has done for ages. That's why he, he's protected by him an awful lot. But I've always said, talk is cheap when you're holding a wooden spoon. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've made this argument before where I think what they should be doing shutting the fuck up, working their asses off and talking with results on the field before they start opening their mouth and flapping their gums. Yep. Okay. Um, and I've had people say, oh, but it's good PR for the club and it's going to drive membership. And went, so is winning. Yeah, nothing's better than winning. Yeah. Nothing, nothing. I remember saying the same thing with uh, the Panthers under Matthew Elliott's run. And, and they would always talk. And it's at some point you really get over it. And it, it really is. It's shut the fuck up. Stop talking. You're, all you're doing is talking. Yeah. You know? The talk it, doesn't mean shit. Remember all of the talk last year in February? You don't. Because no one gives a fuck. No. It's all pointless wank. And it's frustrating to hear, hear it coming from your own team a lot. And some people say, well, you know, it's all positive. I'm going, yeah, it's all positive from a team that hasn't played finals football for 10 years, the only team that hasn't played football in the last 10 years, and currently sitting last on the ladder, who've just hired a 70-year-old coach who hasn't coached for a decade. And he's going to be not only returning to the NRL as a head coach, but also training a bloke on how to be an elite NRL coach who's never been a coach before. He's doing both of those things mm. while also trying to rebuild a team that's run dead last. He's trying to do three of the hardest fucking things you could do at once at the age of 70. Stop fucking talking. You've got a lot of work to do. Yeah. It's a stupid situation. I, I, I can't see how they think it's going to work. I'll be happy as hell if it is, if it does mm-hmm. come through, mm-hmm. but I I don't know. I think after, you know, following this merged entity for 23 fucking years, it's seeing in the finals three of those years. I don't know. It might be a bit odd for me to be a bit negative. I don't know. I just... It <laughs> just seems a bit stupid to be talking this team up all the time and talking up Luke Brooks. He's going to play his 200th game this year. And not one of them has been in the finals. I was about to say, not a finals match. And it's, look, if it was my club, I would be absolutely, like, fucking going off 24-7 about it. Um, I can't imagine what it's like. And, you know, I think about the worst stretches for the Panthers, like they've been five years, you know. And when I say five years, I mean coming into that five years, they've had their chances and things just didn't go their way or they lost a play here or there or, you know, we've still got some good players to watch. I mean, at their very worst, they had Michael Jennings at his best. You know mm. what I mean? Yeah. Um, you, there were still things you could watch and enjoy about the Panthers. There's been some of the most disgraceful, disgusting performances I've ever seen on a football field by this West Tigers team in the middle of their decade-long premier playoff drought. You know, um, and it it really does. It worries me when 
when teams start talking about their, oh, we're going to go back to our old premiership stuff because it's all just bullshit. It's like, it doesn't mean anything. You imagine if Brad Arthur come out and says, oh, we're going to channel the 1986 Eels side. You know, the fucking what? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It it means nothing at all. No. Um, you know, it's understandable if you go if you're like the Melbourne Storm and going, oh, we're just going to go back to that team that was good about four years ago. You yeah, know, you know, you've probably still got elements of that side there. But to be talking about a team that played eighteen years ago, there no team are... ever, no team ever got better by going backwards. No, it's so stupid. Speaking of stupid, mm-hmm. I'm just going from fucking link to link here. Right. There's there's another article during the week with David Nofaluma. <laughs> I saw this. And here's a quote from him. This is after he's talking about, you know, being at Melbourne and playing his first finals game, which he lost. Mm-hmm. I now feel fresh and understand that my role isn't just to play at my best, but to also help my teammates in any way I can to help us be a top side. He's 30 or very close to 30. Mm-hmm. He's just realised that his job is to help his teammates. Yeah, it's not an individual sport, hey. And this this proves to me more than anything else how these players are part of the reason why so many of the coaches get nowhere. Because it doesn't matter how much each of the coaches say, we've got to do this as a team and this as a team, even Jason Taylor, right? They're all going to say, you know, we need the team to work like this. When... A fucking winger hasn't even realised it until now that we have to work as a team. What chance have you got as a coach? What chance have you got? Oh, I just... <laughs> it just blows my mind. It's weird when you see a club that's just such a mess. <laughs> that, that, yeah, like, what are the positive elements? The positive elements are anything that has been brought in externally into the starting lineup. And, you know, of those elements, you're hoping that David Clemmer rediscovers wanting to play rugby league at a high level again. You know, you hope that Api Corusau, off the back of two premierships in a row, is still, he, he's still... He's going to have to do so much work this year, man. I, that, I don't, I'm not that, sure he's aware of it, but I think once they get on the field, he's going to realise that... Um, He's got to be more. He's got to be doing more of the halfback duties than what he ever had to do at Penrith. Mm-hmm. It's not things like playmaking and shit like that. It's going to be things like kicking on the last. But he literally does have to become more of what Robbie Farrell was, being able to do playmaking and shit like that from dummy half or dropping out to first receive every now and then because Brooks will go missing. And I don't think he's that sort of player. He's not. I, that's the thing that gets me. He's but very the much is, the... I think you on. can coach Apicoris out to do that quicker than you can get Brooks to do it because they've been trying with Brooks for a decade now and got nowhere. I think you could teach Corris how to do it in six months and I think he'd pick up some of it. I, I've said before, I think Luke Brooks is... Uh, you move on from Luke Brooks if you're a, any sort of club. Oh, absolutely. And, and if, you can, if you have to pay half his salary, you do it. You know, um, but and, trade trade him to a Super League team and pick up a Super League halfback and put him in the West Tigers, uh, the Western Suburbs Reserve Grade team. 
Well, you know, I saw during the week that the the St. George Illawarra Dragons were looking at trying to get Brody Croft from Salford, <laughs> right? Now, it sounds fucking terrible, okay? It is. But, <laughs> but if I had to choose between Luke Brooks and Brody Croft in this West Tigers team, yeah. I would choose Brody Croft, and you're going to not like that, right? But I'll tell you why. At least Brody Croft isn't going to be fucking silent out there. At least he's going to try a few things. I know what Luke Brooks is going to give me, and I don't want that. Yeah, I'd, I don't know. I'd rather just have Robbie Farah back at halfback. <laughs> yeah, but Robbie Farah's old as fuck, Andrew. Yeah, he'd still be a better halfback than Luke Brooks. Serious. And that's the problem. There was another article that came out saying that Benji Marshall's out there and they were the players were going he was still getting tries and, and scoring tries at training, um, even though he's retired. And I went, Wow, that just shows how bad the defense is. <laughs> I wasn't surprised by that, hey. I wasn't surprised by that. He, he left still playing fucking good footy. Yeah, yeah. If the Panthers signed if the Panthers signed Benji Marshall as a backup to come in during Origin when our players are out I would be like, yeah, that's a pretty good move. Why not? Yeah. He'd be good for like three or four games a year, and he'd come in yeah. pretty fresh the whole time, and he'd get everything he'd done. He, and he, he changed his game from relying on a lot of athleticism to slowing the game down and and using his skill and his timing and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um. So I wasn't surprised when I saw that. I thought no. I thought it must be so cool for Benji to be out there and just teaching lessons. Crazy thing, too, about the, the Brodie Croft thing is Super League fans and English Rugby League fans went absolutely nuts over everything, and he was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. So he's not unbelievable. He's just he's just a run-of-the-mill halfback. But yeah. it shows how far the English playmakers have fallen away that someone who's a run-of-the-mill halfback Looks like absolute fucking diamonds over there. That's what it is. I remember put him back in the NRL. He'll struggle again. Yeah, he would. He would. Um, I remember many, many years ago, Wigan fans telling me how good Willie Peters was, and I used to say to them, "Listen, Willie Peters is not a good halfback," and they'd say, "But he won the, he won the Peter Sterling Award when he was a schoolboy," and I was like, "Yeah, it doesn't mean that he's Peter Sterling." He won an award with Peter Stone's name on it. He's not a good halfback, and they just wouldn't listen. Um, yeah. It's uh, it's interesting, the, the level change. Brody Croft is a reserve-grade halfback over here, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's plenty of good halfbacks running around reserve-grade. But I, look, Luke Brooks is a reserve-grade halfback, if you ask me. No, Luke Brooks is, is not a – Luke Brooks has and for will ever be a 5'8". Okay, he's got the running game. He does have the passing game, but he doesn't have the decision-making game to be a halfback. He doesn't have the play-calling play to be a halfback. He's a, he's a good 5'8". He also lacks the size to be a good 5'8", which means if he went over to, to Super League and played as a 5'8 over there, he would rip him apart because you don't need to be a big half over there to be devastating. You can be a little half over there, and it works. Over here, you do need to be a bit taller. You need to be stronger defensively, and you've got to be able to organise a game, and he can't. He just can't. They've tried it. 
persevered with it. All these different coaches, everyone's tried it. None of them have been able to get him to, to figure it out. It's just not in him. He's That's why you go, you know what? Move him to six and put someone who can talk and can run plays and put them in halfback. That's why I said Dewey's more of a halfback than Brooks ever will be. And I'm not saying that Dewey is a halfback. Just that if I had to pick between those two, I'd put Dewey at seven first instead of Brooks. I want someone who's going to call plays, run plays, get some structure, understand how things work, and talk. That's what I want at seven right now. You can upgrade from Dewey whenever you need to. But Brooks right now, I think he's absolutely 100% done and dusted as a halfback. Yeah. If he's got to be in first grade, he's got to be a six and nothing else. Take responsibility away from him. Take the play calling away from him. Let someone who's actually going to speak up and, and organise that shit, let them do it. And Dewey's the only person that's capable of that in this current squad. Yeah, which is a worry. Mm. It's a real worry. Um, can I ask you a question? Do you have any fucking idea about what this point system is in the preseason that the NRL has put together? Yes, now, we've got this here. Um, I'll go through the system. Okay. So teams are allowed to field up to 28 players in week one matches and 26 players in week two. Okay. Unlimited interchanges across both weeks. Mm-hmm. Tied matches at the end of the 80 minutes will be declared a draw. When they just call them draw matches, will be declared yeah. a draw. Yeah, it's like saying a drawn match is a draw. Mm. Um, there's a bonus point system. Additional bonus points will be awarded alongside the usual win, lose, or draw. Okay. Instead of getting two points for a win, you get 12 points for a win. Okay. Instead of one point for a draw, you get six points for a draw. You still get fuck all for a loss. Yep. If you score five tries or more, you get a bonus one point. If you get five line breaks or more, you get a bonus point. And if you get ten offloads or more, you get a bonus point. Okay. The World Club Challenge between the Panthers and St. Helens will be part of the NRL's preseason challenge with both both result points and bonus points on offer. However, the team will be limited to the usual 17 players with an 18th activated if a team loses two or more players to a failed HIA. Each side will have 10 interchanges. Match will extend to golden point if scores are tied at the end of 80 minutes. That's purely for the World Club Challenge. Okay. Now, I believe there's going to be prize money for the team that wins this challenge thing over two weeks. Mm-hmm. I don't know why the fuck they're trying to make this into something bigger than it needs to be, but by putting prize money on there, it means that the one thing that trials were really good for was getting young guys some game time with the senior guys and getting the regulars, you know, a few runs in their legs and get yeah. get a bit of the rust out, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It's a trial. That's what it's for. By putting prize money on there, there's a fair chance some teams are going to say, you know what, we're not going to take any risks here. Let's just try and win some games just to get the quick, easy cash. It sounds like something Parramatta would win. West Tigers will win it. You reckon? Yeah. yeah, yeah. You watch them, they'll come out, they'll smash the two teams they play, and they'll go, "Mm, fucking more media. Penrith, for for their two games, they're playing, playing Parramatta. And they're playing... Um, St. Helens, isn't it? Yeah, St. Helens. I think yeah. that's their name. And <laughs> don't you think that's unfair? Because, like, 
you know, if there was another team that was playing the lower grade side, you would be like, well, how is that fair? You know? Yeah. Especially when Penrith are the only team who will not get to use 26 players in week two. That's true. Yeah. And look, that's a, you can see, you can say that that's a positive or a negative, but they're kind of forced to not, they're kind of forced to use their best team. And so surely that's a advantage for them as well. I, I, I don't know. It just seems like one of those, some marketing fuckwit in the NRL has come up with this. And I don't know who they are, but if you're listening right now, listen to me. You're a fuckwit, mate. Yeah, Peter. You're a real fuckwit. <laughs> this is utterly stupid. Mm-hmm. There's no no other way to put it. It's utterly stupid, completely pointless. Um, and they do they have a trophy? What's the trophy? I don't know. Maybe I it's there's a, a trophy. I reckon it might be a bronze bust of PVL's face with that smirk. You know, the half half smile smirk he's got going on one side of his face. You know, in an ideal world, the trophy would be like a toilet seat, but the Hyundai A-League already took that yeah, one. Yeah, they've already nailed that one down. Yeah. Um, okay, I've, I did a stats thing the other day. Yes. Do you do stats stuff often? Just every now and then. Okay. I, I, I dabble. Yep. So what I've done is I've worked out a ladder, okay? This is looking at the 2012 to 2022 period including it's NRL games only, including finals. Okay. Okay. You will get – the whole idea on this ladder is to get the least number of points at the end, okay? So you'll get one point per player used over that entire period, mm-hmm. 20 points per coach used. This includes interim coaches, so long as they coached at least three games. That sounds really bad for the West Tigers already. You lose two points per win. You lose one point per draw, and you get one point per loss. Okay. So the top team, obviously, they've only had one coach um, and fuck all players, and it's Melbourne. Yes. They've got minus 199 points. Mm-hmm. Next, second place is the Roosters with minus 91. Mm-hmm. That shows you pretty Holy clearly shit. the big gap between Melbourne and the Roosters. Yeah. Um, and pretty much Melbourne and everyone else. Penrith, with all the success, are third at minus 38. Mm-hmm. South are fourth, minus 29. They are the only four teams that are in the negative. Oh, wow. Canberra's at 19, they're fifth. Cowboys are sixth with 30 points. Manly, seventh, 36. Parramatta, eighth, 55. Cronulla, ninth, 58. And the reason why Cronulla's there is because they've had quite a few coaches because of the whole Flanagan and all that sort of bullshit that went on. So yeah. a lot of their interim coaches were there for three, four, five games. You didn't do, like, plus 100 for systematic abuse of performance-enhancing no. drugs? No, I've allowed all of that. All okay. cheating is fully allowed. Okay, okay, that's fair enough. Yeah. Um, Brisbane are next at 81, and a lot of that is impacted by their... They've had a few coaches as well. They've had five coaches in that period. Mm-hmm. Settle down, fella. Then the then we get to a pretty big step down to the Dragons. So Brisbane 81, Dragons 128. Ooh. The Bulldogs 133. Then it's another big step down to Newcastle 199. Mm-hmm. The Warriors 216. 
the West Tigers 229 and the Titans 235. Wow. And so... I didn't realise it at the time, but when I looked back at it, I went, it shows you more often than not, the more coaches you have, the more players you end up using, and the less wins you have. True. I think the counter to that, right, would be, is it? it's like the chicken or the egg argument. Like, a winning club doesn't have to change things. But a losing club does. If a losing club didn't change things, it wouldn't necessarily make them a winner, I don't think. No. Here's the thing. Okay. Penrith have had quite a lot of players. So they've had 127 players. You think Melbourne's had 109. Mm-hmm. But Penrith are third on the list, even with three coaches. Mm-hmm. They've won a lot of games. But because... They finally, in in recent times, like the last five years, they've probably had fewer players than any other team and only yeah. one coach and a yeah. fuck ton of wins and barely any losses. Yeah. That's what's kind of repaired that. So you can rectify it. Yeah, um, I, I feel as though Penrith it could very well be looked at as a super anomalous event at any point in the history of the game. So I feel as though... Over the last 10 years, like, I, th- I think Penrith is weird and they would be a weird situation if they were at any point in the game's history. Does that make sense? Ah, uh, Yes, that does make sense. I I, I was listening. <laughs> that does make sense. Um, like, I, could, I think you could look at that ladder you've put together and say, just let's take Penrith out of this for a second. You know what I mean? Well, that's the thing. There's, there's a few anomalies, so... The Cowboys had the least number of players. They're the only team that's had less than 100 players in here. Mm-hmm. And that shows a coach who persevered with the wrong players for too long because they mm-hmm. ended up with only six wins more than losses. Mm-hmm. And then they went through a few coaches and, you know, um, the Sharks, another one. They've got a lot more wins and losses in this period but six coaches, so they had all that instability. They kept the roster intact, but they couldn't find the right coach. Mm-hmm. But they weren't losing lots of games either. Um, the Broncos, they've had just as many wins as losses. They haven't used a huge amount of players, 118 players. But again, coaching instability, it throws them out. The Dragons haven't had too much coaching instability, but again, a lot of players. Um... And then you get down to teams like the Warriors. They've had seven coaches. They've had the most. And then you've got the Tigers and the Titans, who have both had 137 players each. That's the most. And Newcastle, they've got 128 players and five coaches. That's the third third highest for players. Those are the three teams, Newcastle, Tigers, Titans. They're the only three teams that have not reached 100 wins from 2012 to 2022. Pretty amazing. It, it, I feel as though the last 10 years has been a little bit strange in the NRL, do you? It has. But we've, got a, we've got a bit of a group here of, when you look at it, you can see sort of your clear top four teams, your next four or five, and then the bottom bunch. Mm. And it's been pretty consistent in that order for a while. 
Mm. And it seems that the teams who have been able to have pretty versatile lineups that can adapt to any rule changes, which has been basically the Storm, the Roosters, South, they've dealt with most of them. Mm-hmm. They're still up there. Um, and then Penrith have come along in more recent times, and there's been a lot of rule changes, but because they've had a very solid lineup that hasn't varied too much, they haven't needed to rely on a ton of players. Um, they've been able to just be, to just win and not know how to lose, essentially. Mm-hmm. That's all they've done. And they've surged up this list. Yeah, I think like you take this list back four years. Penrith, I would suggest, is quite further down yeah. the list than they are right now. They'd slump a long way down. Yeah. Um, it, it's pretty interesting. I mean, I'm not saying that this is the right way to do it either or not. It's a system that I made up just to see what would happen. But mm-hmm. uh, it, it's pretty pretty interesting how it worked out, to be honest. Yeah, I think it's always interesting when you can look at, um, I mean, I guess 10 years you can say is a long-term trend uh, amongst clubs because it's hard to really get a good gauge on, um, you know, which clubs have really been the best over a time period like that because for the most part, you know, it ebbs and flows. And th- But then you look at that, the 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 Roosters have been pretty consistent over that 10 years and the Storm have been outstanding over that 10 years. Like even their worst, what's their worst, you know, season over that 10 years? It must last, have been. Last year. Yeah, I was going to say it must have been last year, which is, is the first insane. time they finished outside the top four. That's, and that's crazy. Yeah. That's absolutely crazy. And then you've got the Panthers who, as we've said, they're a bit of an anomaly. And then, but then you've course also got the anomalies of the Newcastle Knights and the Bulldogs and, who have had some of the worst seasons we've ever seen in the history of the game as well. So, um, yeah, it's, they're interesting stats. I think the the fact that the Titans are so far down on that list, well, it says a lot about how that club has been run over oh, the last yeah. 10 years. I think the other one that's interesting too is Canberra's up there despite not really having any genuinely outstanding data. So they've had 139 wins and 133 losses. Mm-hmm three coaches but 105 players and yet they're they're fifth on the list yeah it's because of the stability around the club so that's the thing that this this ladder looks at more heavily too is stability in the player and coaching ranks mm-hmm. um it tries to tie stability with success mm-hmm. um it's not an easy way to do with stats, but it's interesting that Canberra's up there as high as they are. Um, Cowboys fairly similar. You know, they've they've had 98 players, four coaches, and only six wins more than losses. Mm-hmm. I think Canberra and the Cowboys are sort of two sort of anomalies in there. Yeah, they, they've kind of both had similar issues in, at times you've looked at their lineups and said, look, they're sticking with the wrong players and they've been loyal to the wrong players. And it's, cost them at times but it's probably stopped them from bottoming out as much as at the same time as well yeah they've like just that, been that, consistently that, sort of in the same marker all the time yeah they've they've had players that they've had players that they've stuck by who were never going to get them to the next level 
but who managed to stop them from going down a level. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's something I got into last week. The only other thing I did in the off-season was I created a massive chart of every single English rugby league team and the divisions they played in since 1895. And the fascinating thing about this is how quickly the teams that were introduced from Wales were abandoned. <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't take long, does it? No, three or four years, that's pretty much it. Yeah, you get four years out of a Welsh team and you've done well. Um, the, the West Wales Raiders, I think they were called last time I saw, they actually decided to drop down a conference, I believe. Yes, um, and I think they've changed their name again. No, really. Yeah. It's, um, but I don't get Wales. I've said it a million times. If you, can, yeah. if you can tell me how Wales works, I don't know. It's just there. It's just, <laughs> it, it just exists. just exists and it, it's not special. I don't know. I, I don't understand. It's it, nothing. There's nothing that comes out of Wales. Oh, speaking of the West Coast, I just saw this article just pop up from a few hours ago by Brent Reid. You know, it's going to mm-hmm. be good. Mm-hmm. West Tigers can go from wooden spooners to finalists in 2023. <laughs> oh, well, well, that's good to know. <laughs> So the NRLs decided to go with the top 16 this year in the finals. <laughs> <laughs> They've we, just got to beat one team. Who's that going to be? Dragons? It's got to be the Dragons, right? I think the Dragons are wooden spooners this year. They're looking pretty good. Although Hook's pretty confident they're going to make the finals this year, so I don't know. He's, I tell you what, he's one of those coaches that last year he did the same thing. He did. When you, when you look at that lineup he had at his disposal, he, they fucking overachieved. Yes. Well, he's he somehow made them worse this year, though. Yeah, but is that him or is that just a, a poorly run club? I tend to think it's a really poorly run club, hey? Yeah, I don't know. We'll have to do a season preview soon. Yeah, we will. I, I don't understand how you can have a club that's privately owned, right? Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden you're putting the money in. You're the one who is demanding success and you look at what they're doing and everyone's not fired. <laughs> yes. Like if it was me, I'd look at this off season and I'd get everyone in that was responsible for it and I'd say, you're fired. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's they've, it. They've We're got spending, a, they've got a spending, culture issue at the moment. I'm spending $12 million Fucking dollars on this lineup? Are you fucking serious? I'm spending the same amount on this lineup as the Panthers are on their lineup. You're fired. Pack <laughs> your shit. You're fucking fired. Oh man. I saw they signed Jacob Little. I clean forgot about that and I went Why? Yeah. He had his first, you know, season and a half in the last two last two years. Injury free, and we finally got to see what he was capable of. And even the Tigers went, hmm, "We need to get someone else." And you've decided to go and sign the hooker from the worst team in the competition last year, who that club realised was not good enough. Well, Why? The, I think sometimes I thought this about the the bloke that Newcastle signed, Lock, Lockie Miller. Yeah. yeah, okay, finally got it, hey. <laughs> um, and I thought to myself, why would you sign the Sharks' backup fullback who played okay at times 
but really did look like a reserve grade fullback, right? I think sometimes it's really easy to look at those sorts of signings and say, what are they fucking thinking when they've really just added to the depth of their squad? But I don't think he's he's going to be the starting hooker, though, because they had Andrew McCulloch and he retired. Do you reckon? Yeah, I reckon he's going to be their starting hooker. Everyone's fired. Yeah. Everyone's fired. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll put it this way. Okay. Name another hooker at the Dragons. Yeah, that's what I was doing in my head. I was trying to pick out another hooker. <laughs> and I was like, and as you're talking, and I'm like, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what gets me. It's stuff like that. Look, Lucky Miller, I can get why the Sharks let him go. Okay, they've got young Kai Dykes. Uh, Kai, Kai Dykes, sorry. Um, he can play both fullback and 5'8". And I think they see him as a backup fullback if needed mm. at the moment because that's what he's been playing at the moment. But I think the Sharks see him as the long-term house partner for Nico Hines when Moylan departs, which would be a smart move because Dykes is a very good young player. Yeah. So they've gone Miller's behind him. Did he say CL? Do you know that? I did hear that, yeah. yeah. Um, but I think the club would have seen that Miller was behind him and Miller's probably seen that as well and gone, well, you know what, I should just go somewhere else. Yeah. And I don't think... I don't think the Knights are convinced at who they want at fullback. Because they were tossing up um, that, I think he's a teenager from England, Bailey Hodgson. Very, very talented fullback. Got a bit of pace about him, but hasn't really got, I don't think he's got much Super League or NRL experience at this stage. Um, and you've got Dane Gagai, who's been spending a lot of time at centre, hasn't done much fullback lately. And they're trying to move Ponga to 5'8". And then there was talk that Tyson Gamble's been training at fullback, so they're now working on makeshift fullbacks. Mm. And I think they probably see Lockie Miller as, well, this bloke is a fullback. Maybe we can just start there. Well, I he's a that... good, yeah, he's a good for Look, he was a good fullback for uh, the Sharks last year when they needed to call him up. Like, he, he did the job. You know? Yeah, he's, he's pretty safe under the high ball. He's got a good kick return on him. Um, didn't get to see too much of whether he, he chimes into the back line too much, but if you've got... Ponga parked out on the left side. You don't really need him to do too much. Mm-hmm. Um, although I'd probably, for the Knights' attack, they probably need a, a fullback who can play on the right side because otherwise their attack's going to get pretty um, one-dimensional. You just yeah. know they're going to go left all the time to Ponga. Yeah, yeah. So if they've got a, a fullback who can do a bit of ball playing on the right-hand side, it means that the defence can't just go heavy on, on Ponga's side. They've got to be marking up both sides. That's the only chance they've got. Which goes back to us talking about, like, there was just no development from out of Ponga's game. And yeah. there was no develop. There was no, there was no development in, in, you know, you couldn't see any progress in the Knights' play. It was just the same stuff over and over again. And, and it used to shut down, you yeah. know. So you, you lock down that that right-hand side of your defence, which is the left-hand side of the Knights' attack, and you're sweet. That's it. And that's all teams were doing. Mm. It's pretty easy. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how it all goes. But, uh, we'll, we'll do a preview and we'll, we'll sort that out. Yeah. Um, the last thing, you're doing, I'm doing a bit of self-promotion here. Okay. i got something else we could talk about too. Oh, cool. 
Well, we can do that first if you want. Well, well, just we talked about it. We touched on it earlier in the podcast. There was the there was a little bit of talk in the media that the NRL was going to do a pride round. Oh, I, yes. don't, I don't know where that talk was coming from, but it was in the media. Mm. And Peter Valandi's come out and he said that we would have a respect round. It is is his idea where everyone gets respected. Mm. And people blowing up about that, saying that that was uh, homophobic or whatever. But people online tend to get angry at everything, so you got yeah. to take it with a grain of salt. Um, and my thought was that, like, I like the idea of a respect round. I've said it on this podcast a million times before, I fucking hate theme rounds. Every theme round should be football-related. It should be headgear round. It should be stupid haircut round. It should be silly boot colour round. It should be retro jersey round. That's what I want out of theme rounds, right? Yeah. Um, I think all of the other rounds, I don't like them. Um, but a respect round, if you're going to have all of these other rounds, why don't we just have one respect round? It kind of, part of me thought, you know what, that's a pretty pretty good idea on some level. And the idea was that we all respect each other's thoughts and beliefs and opinions and all that. And it kind of, it, it's kind of a very easy way to say, um to be non-committal, but to, at the same time to be like, we respect everyone. And this is something that's happened in rugby league for forever, right? Yeah. Rugby yeah. league's always ha- rugby league has a very, very amazing history of like, you know, first Aboriginal players, first indigenous captain of Australia, um, first, first black captain of a British rugby league team, you know, of the, mm-hmm. of a British sporting team, things like that. Rugby league's always been great with because, People from all different backgrounds and different cultures and all that sort of thing come together and they play rugby league and we all play rugby league and we play it and we have fun and that's it, right? Yeah. We, it's kind of the beauty of the sport. There's, it just is what it is. Like for us, it's normal, you know, other sports, that sort of thing isn't normal. And I think this, this thing of like trying to break stuff down, I don't know that rugby league needs heaps and heaps of that because it is such a good sport for that. But when people were talking about the respect round and Peter Volandis in, in particular, one of the things that I thought about was Israel Folau, who was banned from the NRL for forever mm-hmm. for his, his thoughts and opinions and what he thought, Right. And it's just interesting when you apply that respect. Now, I'm not sticking up for Israel Folau. I'm really not. But I just think with all of this messaging and all of these different things we're being told about, you know, you've got to respect a person's thoughts and opinions and all of these sort of things. When the rubber meets the road, these administrators have a line in the sand. And Israel Folau found that line in the sand. And you can be like, yeah, good. And I don't care, really. If I don't give a fuck about Israel Folau either way. But it, I just think it was another little bit of hypocrisy that we've seen come out of the NRL. Yeah, look, I think the problem that... I think at the, at the end of the day, I don't think it was homophobic for them to to back down from a pride round and go with a respect round. I think what it was was... Half-assed. Yeah, I agree. It was uh, it was trying to find a 
middle ground where they were trying to have the less that the as you said non-committal yeah exactly exactly yeah. and look we saw what happened at manly yeah. and what was probably a good gesture from the manly club went south and the weird thing is it all went ahead you know everything I went ahead that, i think that the what the NRL's forgotten is that manly handled that poorly yes I think poorly is not the right word. Atrociously. Yes. Um, even in the aftermath, they've pretty much made Hasler the scapegoat and threw him under the bus. Yeah. Which is just ridiculous. But um, the only way you can go, the NRL could go about the whole pride round thing is to either have it or not have it. And if you choose to not have it or do as they've done and have something that's watered down and not, you know, non-committal. That's the same in a lot of people's eyes as not having it. Mm -hmm. And you're not having it for a reason, and that's because you don't like homosexual people. It was a no-win situation PR-wise. Yeah. I don't know how they got in back into this corner because I don't remember, happy to be corrected, I don't remember the NRL committing to having a pride round. Well, this is the thing. I don't know that they did, right? I saw whispers of it over the off-season, and I thought, well, and, and when I say whispers, it was written about in the mainstream media, and I, I was like, where's that coming from? Is that coming from the NRL? Are they putting feelers out for it? Are they trying to gauge public interest in it? Or is it something else, you know? Um and I don't know what that something else would be. You know, it's, mm. it's just guessing, like, you know, where's this messaging coming from? And then it was brought up again over the last couple of weeks and Peter Volandis had to address it, and that's how he chose to address it. Um, And, and I just wonder, with all this stuff, like, I don't know, there's a lot of there's a lot of other sports could really use some of this messaging. And, I've, like, society is not perfect, right? We're not all kumbaya with one another. And you would like to get to that point one day, but I don't think you're fixing anything through rugby league, right? I think you can get some cool ideas out there through rugby league. But at some stage, if you do it in the wrong way, as we saw with the Manly Seagulls last year, things can turn pear-shaped and all of your good intentions can go out the window because we saw it at Manly last year. And... Manly, I'm sure they thought that it was a great idea at the time. And their idea was a good idea. But damn, it got surrounded by a lot of negativity. Yeah. And I'm sure that was not the outcome they expected or wanted. And I just, I think that all of that has to be taken into account with all of this stuff. You know? Of course, of course. Because the last thing we want to do is we want to start having rounds where it's like, we want this positive message round, and it just turns into a fucking shit fight. Because if it's all going to turn into a fucking shit fight, it's defeating the purpose. That's right. And I think I think having the respect round is going to turn into that. Because by the time this round rolls around, all it's going to be is talk about pride round and how that's not going ahead. And mm -hmm. that's what will happen. And mm. I think what he should have done is said, you know what, we're not doing a pride round um, at the moment, only because the rounds we have allocated for, for themes and stuff have already been decided upon. Um, but we're still going ahead with, and then name things that, that the NRL does that's um, 
you know, pro LGBTQI. They say things like, you know, we we still be involved in the the Mardi Gras and having a presence there and stuff like that. You could have done things like that and still turned it into a positive, while still not saying we're not, you know, you come out and say we're not doing a pride round yet, but don't actually put a date on it or anything. Like that. Just say, look, we're open to doing one in the future, but we've already allocated our themed rounds for the year. Blah 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 blah. And that way you sort of shut down chat about why aren't you doing one this year. You've you've an, you've answered why. You talked about things that you are doing that's pro the LGBTQI community, and you've you've been committal to them, without having to have an actual round that impacts players' beliefs on that area. You know, so it's you kind of you kind of get a win-win all the way around. But for him yeah. to go with a respect round, it sounds half-assed piss week and i think it's going to it's not going to give him the purpose he thinks it will i think all that's going to happen is when it does roll around and up until that point there's just going to be constant chatter until that round comes along and then when that round comes along it's just going to be fucking hammered in from yeah. these communities about how this should have been a pride round but no, and, not only that i think that the thing that worries me is there will be plenty of media and just people in general from all sorts of different areas that just gear up for a fucking shit fight, you know? And, and if, if, if it all turns into a shit fight and it's going to defeat the purpose of, Hey, let's respect one another. Mm. It is. And it, it seems weird. If it's counterproductive, then Don't surely do it. it's something we shouldn't be doing, you know? And it's weird <laughs> yeah. to say it like it's, it's it's a kind of a weird sort of thing where you say, look, if if we can't respect one another, then in this round, then maybe we shouldn't be having a respect round. And uh, it's just, it's a very weird. It's it's so fucking weird, isn't it? It is. I, I just looked at it and went, that's a PR disaster. What he's yeah. done there. You should have just shut up and said, you know what? Maybe sometime in the future, but not this year. Yeah. It's weird. I just don't want there to be arguments about rounds of footy. Like, that's what it comes down to. I don't want to get to a point where we're going in. Like, last year's whole women in league round was completely overshadowed by a fucking jersey with a rainbow on it. You know? And and, and if you went by the narrative, you would have thought, wow, they cancelled it all? They they said we're not doing it? No. Everything was went through, you know? Um. I I don't want to see any more stuff like that in rugby league where everyone's fucking arguing over the positive message. <laughs> it's like I want us to come together as a community. Fuck you! You're like I don't want that. I kind of want to just watch some footy, man. Oh, it's it's crazy. It's just the fucking media loves it. That's the other thing. That's yeah. 100. That's what I hate. I hate when the media is happy because something bad's going on. And the other thing is too, it's like a lot of the media will push for absolute answers. They will, and but there are no will... absolute answers. The thing is, most of the media too are not. They're not modernised with a lot of their thinking. They're not going to be one hundred percent pro LGBTQI. Um, I'm not saying all of them, but most of them aren't. It's just kind of the way the machine works. It's more old-fashioned in its mindset. And because of that, 
they're not going to be 100% pushing for a pride round, but they will push for it via, you know, you know, arguing for the sake of arguing just to have a story. Yes. But it's not because they want to have a pride round. It's because they want to have an argument to create drama so they can sell more of their shit. Yes. That's all that will happen. And as yeah. soon as the pride round comes around, you can bet your ass I'll go, what about all of these islanders who have come here and they're Catholic and they don't like, you know, the whole homosexuality thing because it doesn't go with their religious beliefs. Are we now going to alienate all of those Pacific Islanders people? And then they'll do all these stories about how de- how great devout Catholics they are and that sort of stuff. And they'll just constantly flip-flop back and forth. Yeah, they'll, they'll, and there will be no... The nasty ab- stuff. Yeah, and there'll be no absolute answer. They tried to start it up with the vaccines on, on the players. Remember there were some players mm-hmm. that decided against getting vaccinated. Yep. And, you know, they, they tried to push the NRL to say if a player isn't vaccinated, they don't play. Yeah. And the NRL didn't. The NRL didn't. They were non-committal about it. And they allowed players to make their own minds up about what they did in terms of getting vaccinated or not. Um, I thought they handled that pretty well. Considering. That, was, that was handled better. Yeah. But and. and but the media wanted it to be something and they oh, didn't yeah. get it, you know? And, and so that's just another situation and completely different situation, like on a completely different topic. Um, you know, you, the media wants there to be something like, I think a lot of this CBA stuff and look, the CBA should have been in place and it's ridiculous. It's not and all that sort of thing. I don't think we're going to miss a single game of the CBA. I think I, it's all going to be put in place. I think yeah, it, I mean, it's late, but I'm um, in agreement with you there. I don't think yeah. anything's going to happen bad there. But I also think the players will get more of what they want because the NRL have lost their they've lost their power base because they're doing it all so close to the season. Yeah, one hundred percent. They'll have 100%. to yield to the players in order to get the season underway. But the these the talk in the media of like there's a giant showdown. Well, no, they're talking. That's what they you want them to do. Every, every uh, time there's there's some breakdown in the CBA negotiation, it's always like, oh, there's going to be a rebel Super League starting on. Just fucking settle down. Exactly. <laughs> they're gonna. The players are considering striking. Well, like I mean, I guess it is an option, right, right, right down the track. But fucking rugby league play, players know the worst thing they could do for their business is to strike. You know, yeah. it's the very worst thing they could do for their business. That's right. I think the the highlight for me out of all of this is Mark Levy being um, surprised that a union of players were behaving like a union. How funny was that? That was <laughs> fucking hilarious. The Rugby League Players Association are acting like a union. Fucking idiot. What a... Oh, man. One day we'll have to do a list of... of Media personalities, <laughs> mainstream media personalities in the NRL, and rank them based on how stupid they are. I just, you know what, I I find myself <laughs> paying so little attention to most of them. And the thing is, for me, okay, I get my mind set up on who's the absolute worst of them, and then another one comes along and says, "Hold my fucking beer." <laughs> I know, I'm right? Like, Fuck! I had you at three. Now you're at one. Now who do I change you around? It's. I find it weird that there is a show on Foxtel that is on, a, what is it, three nights a week, and it is about rugby league, and it is just arguments 
Like that's it. It's just like how can we how can we make as many people as possible as angry as possible by saying the most fucking ridiculous shit possible? It's basically a production meeting at the uh, Daily Telegraph. <laughs> yeah, it's do you reckon who's that we running with today? Do you reckon they sit down? Like, okay, do you reckon that they're all actually really cool people? And I don't think that's the case. But do you reckon they sit down and they say, what can we cunt out on today? (laughs) (laughs) What would be really cunty thing to say today? Paul Kenson is saying, Buzz, I reckon you need to get really fired up about the most obscure thing possible and try and turn it into something so much bigger than it is. So, you know, say Luke Brooks is not going to the Knights because they won't pay him $5 extra. And then yeah. somehow turn that into something about unionism and then tie that into workers' parties over in South America. <laughs> Imagine if in these <laughs> production meetings they say, Paul, Paul you're going to have to be a cunt today. And he's like, oh, I don't want to, though. Like, I really like the players and the fans and I love these clubs and the game. I just, I'm sick of it, man. I'm just <laughs> sick of it. And they're like, but Paul, you're so good at it. And he's like, all right. Far out, man. I thought they just said, you know, they said that to Paul. He goes, you know what? I really want to start a Twitter account. But you keep making me do all of this stuff. I keep making me tell all these people that, you know, the Twitter idiots on stuff all the time. And I have to keep abusing them all the time. I can't go on there. I love They're being bully on me. Yeah, I, I love being on Twitter. It's so wonderful. It brings so many different people into my life. They just don't know it's me, Paul Kent. And you're making me say they're bastards and they're not. They're lovely people. But Paul, Paul, we just need you to say the line, mate. It's your job. And he's like, all right. Oh. <laughs> Paul, we need you to say not pass the pub test three times a week. It's in your contract. And he's like, but I've never drunk alcohol in my life. I don't even know what it tastes like. What is a pub test anyway? I've never been in a pub. And they're like, Paul, look at your contract, mate. It's like, oh, fuck. Actually, that'd be funny if they said, Phil, he's going, I've never been in a pub, mate. Oh shit! Oh shit! <laughs> oh, oh, that's getting dangerous. Well, it, look, it's been a really good episode in our brand new studio. Um, oh, look, they've brought in a cake. Oh, lovely! They've brought in a cake. Look at it; it's got fucking sparklers on it. Can we? Can we? Can we trust them? Hey, can we trust them? I, I can reckon we can trust them. Just put it, put it down on the table. And uh, we'll come out. We'll have some cake. Don't, don't touch it. You don't get any. Yeah, sparkles are pretty. We appreciate fun. that you brought it out. Yeah, just don't it's, don't fucking touch it. All right. The uh, the the tablecloth. The tablecloth is is yeah. No, nah, it's getting on fire. You stupid! It's on fire. Don't put it out. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. No, 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 no. Fucking fire. Fuck. What's he doing? Oh, shit. Oh, shit.